Welcome to this episode of the Better Value, Better Business podcast. I am Alex Stacey, and in this episode, I look at what needs to happen within an organization to create customer satisfaction. I will also be introducing Emily Potts, a business advisor, to hear what she says on this. Firstly, I will look at the specific problems of frontline employees. Frontline employees, those people who represent your organization to your customers, Strangely, these are not the most highly paid people in most organizations, despite shouldering the burden of representing the quality and consistency of your brand's products and services. Frontline employees are the ones who have to be supremely responsive to your customers and use great listening and comprehension skills, good at communicating and resolving your customers' wants and needs. They have to use their judgment as to what is included in the service as reasonable demands and those that aren't. They are often the ones who take the brunt of the customer's dissatisfaction and face confrontation about standards and systems they aren't actually responsible for and have no control over. They rely on the support of good managers and other employees who aren't on the front line to supply a quality service to them. What has been mapped out about the employee experience is a typical four-stage journey, which starts out as the enthusiastic beginner whose competence is extremely low. They increase in competence and still need supervision, but become less enthusiastic. They eventually become a competent contributor and finally a star player. To me, this looks like it might map onto different kinds of motivation. At the beginning, there is lots of intrinsic motivation. The job is new with lots of interesting challenges. Then at the second stage, you have become overwhelmed with the rules and processes to follow, that you feel there is no room for your own creativity. So you lose your intrinsic motivation and switch to extrinsic motivations, such as praise, unexpected bonuses, promotions. Then As your competence increases and you start to contribute to the organization, you might be given more autonomy in your role, which prompts your intrinsic motivation. And finally, when you're an expert, you have internalized the extrinsic motivations and aligned the organization's aims as your own. Frontline employees can also behave destructively, such as not sharing incidents that could be learned from. They might conceal complaints, mislead customers, not engage or behave in an emotionally appropriate way, falsify recorded complaints or disregard what they consider minor complaints. One of the reasons that's been identified is that they might get punished if they speak up. And this is what the term psychological safety tries to cover. Psychological safety is defined as the belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas questions, concerns, or mistakes, and that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. So what is an optimum environment to work in? Let's take a couple of outcomes, satisfaction and organizational commitment. I mean, studies have shown one of the essential contributors to satisfaction and organizational commitment is role clarity. This is described as the degree to which the necessary information is provided and understood about performing his or her job. 
Role clarity is not only desirable for job satisfaction and organizational commitment, but also in terms of customer satisfaction outcomes as role clarity leads to better performance. For instance, customer call centers typically operate with dual objectives, a need to be efficient with time and costs, and a desire to be customer oriented. However, the frontline employee can often find themselves squeezed between the two positions, that of meeting set targets and delivering customer satisfaction. So that is a conflict that employees experience. Quickly resolving customer concerns, which which can be broad and varied demands, a high level of spontaneity and role clarity. A perception of a high degree of role clarity is linked to better job satisfaction. Another conflict is emotional labor. This term has been coined to describe the emotional effort needed for, in particular, frontline employees who are expected to display an outward emotion that conflicts with what they genuinely feel within. For instance, a smile to customers is often expected. Giving and receiving feedback is considered by frontline employees to be one of the best ways of letting them know how well they are performing. Also, frontline employees need to be continually interacting with their co-workers in terms of absorbing new information about customer services or new technology. These helpful and supportive co-workers can be viewed as a team supporting each other. Also, team support provides an outlet to service burnouts arising from difficult service encounters, and the team can soothe each other as well as share practical knowledge. I have a family member who works in a hospital, and she and her colleagues can share their frustrations to lighten the emotional burden. Another contributor to achieving good role clarity is participating in decision-making about their jobs. It is seen as an indirect means of understanding and influencing managerial expectations of work behavior. Employees need to perceive that their supervisors are concerned with promoting their comfort and well-being and that a climate of psychological support, mutual trust and helpfulness is available. It is in this supportive environment that accountability for mistakes can be balanced with learning. So at this point, I'd like to turn to my guest, Emily Potts. Perhaps you could introduce yourself and let us know a bit about what you do regarding a healthy internal culture. Hi, Alex. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. So I'm a business coach and I work with business owners to help them refine their business strategy and then importantly to deliver it through creating a healthy and high performing workplace culture. So I see strategy and culture as very much interlinked and I love the cultural anthropologist Michael Henderson's arrow metaphor that he has for company culture. So the tip of the arrow is the strategy and the shaft is the company's performance and the feathers are the culture. So the feathers may appear the sort of soft and fluffy part, but if they're missing or damaged, then the strategy really isn't going to go anywhere. So you need a great culture to help you to hit your strategic marks. Um, you know, there have been so many examples in the news recently about poor workplace cultures, you know, from the Met police at one extreme and, you know, even 
in the civil service with Dominic Raab and, you know, kind of low level intimidation that means that people aren't performing well. And so I think the markers of a high performing culture are sort of employees that are sort of productive and motivated. They've got the resources that they need to meet and exceed their goals, which are clearly defined. And they feel supported by their manager and colleagues and they're sort of confident or feel psychologically safe in voicing their opinions and ideas. And most importantly, they're aligned with the company vision and values. Um, and this sort of leads them, knowing the company values, what's important to the company, then helps them, you know, drive their behaviors and drive their decision making. So they can say, well, you know, is, is, is this what's, what's important? Yes or no. And then act accordingly. That, that's now that's such a good vision of the arrow with the feathers because yeah, it's, great, it's, it? the soft, it's actually the feathers the way they are fixed on the shaft that guides and steers the arrow doesn't it is how yeah. it performs um so with can we take that metaphor any further with the leadership and the, the vision um which part of the arrow do you think that's part? Of? Oh, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> the words of the leadership and the vision. I suppose you know maybe that's maybe that's how you how you, as you were saying, how you fix those feathers yeah. to to the arrow. Um, I suppose. I suppose yes. they have different patterns, can't they? It's how you create your culture. Yeah, and maybe and maybe the maybe the types of feather that, that you use. I'm not I'm no I'm an arrow expert, <laughs> perhaps that's your kind of different type of leadership that means that you can have sort of optimal, optimal drive or distance or or velocity. Um and yeah, and, and all importantly, sort of having that that point of driving it in the direction of your strategy. Um, and, and linking those two, I think, is hugely important. Yeah, yeah. And um, what what sort of messages do you give to leaders when you're coaching them? Um, in for, for thinking about culture, I think that it very, very much comes down from you know from from the top of the company. And I think it's it's so important that leaders really model. The behaviors that that they want to see in their in their people you know for you know for if if they want to see people sort of in, in meetings turning up on time and prepared but if they themselves rush in at the last minute haven't not having read something that, that an employee is prepared for them then you know that that message that comes out is that is that the leader doesn't consider the employee important and so sort of modeling those behaviors um, that they want to see is, is hugely, hugely important. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever worked for um, um, someone who, a leader you really respected? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember myself um, an instance, it was one of my first jobs and I worked in the most incredibly busy sandwich shop in, in Oxford. And every lunchtime, we would have queues stretching down the streets. And um, the people who owned the sandwich shop worked so hard. And it was such an example. You know, they showed us what to do. They didn't sort of sit back and direct us, which is also fair enough for a leader because they've got other things to do. But it was great seeing their involvement. Yes. Yeah, so, so talking about what you were saying there about, um, about you know, being, being shown what to do and then essentially being left to get on with it. I think is incredibly important and that and that can be hard for leaders 
you know, they kind of know that they that they want to delegate because they, they don't have the time to do everything themselves. But very often it's all, you know, I want to do someone else to do it, but to do it exactly my way, which is quite delegating. It's kind of showing people, giving them the tools to then go go ahead and, and do what needs to be done, but focusing on the outcomes. This is getting very clear on this is what I want to see at the end of the process, but you do it in whatever way makes most sense and, is, is, and works best for you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so when you're delegating, um, so you're saying, is it about having trust in the employee? Yes, it is. It is. It is about having trust in the employee. Um, sometimes sort of when people delegate, they, they, they sort of veer from either being really, really controlling in how things are done and, and micromanaging and, and not feeling that they have the trust or then having going to the other extreme and just abandoning and just saying, OK, I want this done. Make it so. Whereas whereas I think what a really, really good culture when it comes to delegating is being extremely clear on the outcomes that you want and then ask, you know, in a more coaching way, what what support do you need from me in this to make it happen? And then, you know, and then kind of checking in at the end and, and looking for lessons learned. So those improvements can be built in, but it always comes from the person that you delegated to, to, to tell you what it is that they need. Yeah, right. So would you say... Um... So would you say that the leader has to distinguish between, well, not just the leader, but certainly managers, they have to distinguish between the degree of coaching and support someone needs? Yes. 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 And, you know, and everyone, depending on, on what stage they are or where their skills are, or where their strengths are, will, will need a different, a different level of support. Yeah. 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 Oh, that, that's great. Um, I haven't got any other particular questions. Have you got any other insights or things you'd like to share well as, as I think we've discussed before that some of the tools that I use when talking about culture in organizations are the um the, the Gustavo Rossetti culture canvas which is is a way of of getting pretty much the whole company's culture onto one page which is a great starting point for a conversation because you can map the culture as it stands currently so you can kind of make the intangible tangible so then you can see what you know where you want to improve and, and you know prioritize that and and that that culture map is split into three main sections so in the middle you have the the core culture that looks at you know, the organization's purpose values behaviors priorities and then also he looks at the emotional culture, um, which, which covers psychological safety, whether people feel confident in, you know, speaking up and being candid, not, not rude, but, you know, being able to, to, to put their concerns or, or their voice. And then also sort of feedback and company rituals, how to create good behaviours and, and a good sort of team feel. And finally, the sort of the, the practical or the functional side of the culture um, he looks at decision making, meetings, norms and rules. And this isn't sort of just a, a list of, of meetings, but it's you know, when someone like Amazon, they interestingly, when they have meetings, they have half an hour at the beginning for people to read through all the documentation and the information so that everyone starts the meeting on the same page. So it, it would kind of cover that kind of thing, your, your approach to having meetings. Right. 
Um, so, so those are the sort of little feathers you're putting on. Yeah, um, I do <laughs> like the idea of uh, someone having, um, you know, described all the little elements that you need, which make part of that culture. That sounds very useful. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. They like, and I like how he um, sort of has the core, which is you know the, the beating heart of the organisation, what the organisation's about. But and then then the emotional and the and the functional side, having those two different things. Because when I've gone into organizations before and talked about culture and what it means to people, I get all kinds of different responses, you know, some some um, very much on the well-being front, and when others are very much on, on the process front. So I think that there are very much those those two different elements. Yeah. Perhaps feathers and, and the string tying the feathers to the the arrow yeah 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 the risk of abusing that metaphor too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and also um when you're using a visual uh map like that obviously it's easy to share with people what do you find um people need to to change cultures what do, you, what do i find that they need to change most um i, I mean not what other things but um what are the dri- drivers that make them change? Or how long does it ah, take yes. to change a company culture? What sort of thing? What are the easy wins? Let's start with that. The easy wins. I think um, communication seems to be uh, quite a lot of the reason that, that people want to do the culture work in the first place, because they're finding that people are not engaged. They're finding that people maybe don't sort of have accountability with, with their work. And that often comes down to, to communication and clarity. You know, people have you know, a pretty good idea as to what their role is and a pretty good idea as to, as to what expectations are, but not full clarity. And it's, I found that if, if that's communicated very, very clearly you know, by the leaders or, or even in amongst the team, then, then you know, that's, a, that's a great first step in making that culture just just work better, work more smoothly, make people feel more respected, um, which in its turn increases engagement and then that kind of has a, has a positive force. Yes, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's what I was talking about earlier on is, is role clarity, the importance mm. of that. Um, and of course, the conflicts that, that you have if you're on the front line, uh, if you're a frontline employee. Um, but uh, I thought one of the interesting things was the the bit about um, you know having discussions with their managers. Um, it also is a way of giving the manager feedback. It's not just a one way thing, is it? Of the manager telling the yes employee, um, and it sets the expectations for the manager. Uh, yes, I think so. You know, very much about having a being really intentional and having a conversation as to you know how how can we work best together and that's and that kind of goes from as you're saying on on both ways so these are ways we can work well together these are ways that if we acted in this way we might not work so well together and you know being really clear on that before you start and set up that relationship in in a really positive way yes yes and yeah and it must be good for the motivation um for the uh employee yes to feel listened to and respected yes um, I know that you've talked before about um some of the, the sort of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation for people yes. and I think you know that that 
communication and, and that respect does you know bring out like the intrinsic motivation in in people yes yeah yeah oh well this has been um a great talk thank you thanks for coming on thanks show. so much alex it's been brilliant i've really <laughs> yeah. enjoyed it <laughs>